0: For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks. HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. Welcome to Maximize Your Hunt, the podcast dedicated to those who want the most out of their
1: hunting property. This podcast explores land management, habitat improvement, and hunting strategies, that will help you maximize your time in the field. Follow along as industry professionals that live and breathe whitetail deer share their secrets to success. And now, the founder of Whitetail Landscapes, your host, John Teeter. Hi, I'm John
2: Teeter, Whitetail Landscapes. This is Maximize Your Hunt. Welcome back. I've got one of my favorite guests on, Todd Shippey from Empire Land Management. We're going to talk a little bit about what he's got going on this season and uh, everything about his, maybe some of his hunting season and then what's going on in the future. Todd, hey, are you on?
1: Yes, sir. How are you, John? Good.
2: I uh, just got my daughter down to bed, so I hope hopefully she doesn't run down here and do something crazy uh, so, <laughs> so we can have an uninterrupted conversation. I was on the road. I've been on the road uh, every week. I just These past two days, I've been home and then I'm cutting some timber here later in the week. And then again, back to client grind uh, every, every week, new client, new region, you know, new problem, new solution. So I know you're dealing with problems and solutions all the time. So that's, that's kind of why yeah. we, we got you on the show. Excellent. Yeah. So what's been going on with you?
1: Well, just uh season just wrapped up Saturday for the area that I'm in. It's still open until the 31st in some areas of Wisconsin that have CWD. So, the property that I could get on, uh, one of my favorite things to do is post-season scout. Get into the areas that you can't get into, you, you know, that you don't dare go into during the season. And uh, I like to get in the bedding areas, kneel down on the beds, look out at the last thing that they dare would have seen after leaf drop and how they can watch um, your approach and your access and egress. I always find it interesting. I'm always trying to plan like where the next stand's gonna be, what the, the if something would happen to the stands, where your next stand, where your grandson's stands gonna be. You always have to be thinking like fifteen years down the road. So uh, that's what I was doing today. And then I had to meet a couple loggers. Um we're having a problem, I got two jobs I really need logged. And the one guy wants it to be logged off so bad because the ash is tipping over and it gets to be dangerous. Look, big branches falling down randomly, especially in the windstorm. Yep. And he's even willing to pay a stipend to the guy to come in and cut it earlier and take the, the wood for free. And the logger today told me that correction, the forester told me today, he said, it could be a million dollars. We just don't have anybody to do the work anymore. Wow. Um, it's a pretty big operation. They got one operator for their Ponzi and one for their forwarder, and every time they hire someone to run out of the run the other equipment, the one guy that's really efficient with their Ponzi ends up babysitting the other guys. So uh, and the, and then the other job that I have uh, that needs to be logged off is rocky and hilly, so it's going to have to be chainsaws and skidders. And uh, he said that's a lost art right now. You can't find hardly anybody willing to chainsaw anymore.
2: We um, we uh, same same scenario here. So you're not in a different boat than us, man. Uh, I, Josh Stryker, my partner. We we're talking today. He's he's working a logging job right now, and uh, in a week he's got one of my clients coming up. You know he can't find any help, and he's he's a one man wrecking machine. You know basically. Yeah. So I don't know. It is a lost start, and you know even for me to go work for him. Uh, and, and we've talked about that, you know, me supplementing just to save him some time, you know, it's, it's, again, that's a, it's a gruel, it's a, it's a grind if anybody's logged and has that experience, but I can tell you fact, Todd, I don't care what anybody says doing some of that habitat work, the implementation stuff that we do, it's twice as hard as that three times as hard as that in in some, you know, in some respect.
1: Yeah, Yeah. And the logging, you know, the, the loggers, the chainsaw guys, um, it's too bad because it's pretty good money. You're not sitting behind a computer. You're out in the woods. Um, I, wouldn't mind, I wouldn't mind doing it myself, but um, getting older and there's just so many things that a guy can do. It, yeah. It's too bad. Um, and not only that, I think a part of it is you could go on a chainsaw in the woods and work all day logging, or you can charge somebody $2,000 to take one tree out of their yard that's kind of leaning on their house. And I think that's a direction the guys are chasing the money. So I think instead of going and cutting bulk timber, they're just making that much more money in urban areas.
2: Yeah, the the residential timber market is definitely a draw. Again, things that we've been talking about on my end, just just as uh, you know, more opportune situations, particularly in the in the summer months, for that matter. You know when when logging isn't really you know that the, the, the markets shifts a little bit. Although yeah. you know market prices stay pretty good here in the summertime, so you know there's there's no love lost. But that during that wet season is a lot of times when we try to do the implementation work, um, it's a gap. Yeah. You know, and you, you're not running a skitter, um, a feller, any of those things. You're just going in and you're doing kind of the fine work. Um, let, let me ask you a question a little bit about you know your clients. Um, you've had a I think a pretty good season uh, from what we've talked about um, any, any real like moments during this season where you were like, Oh, we've got to do that differently, or we should shift and, and try something, you know, different, any, any new perspectives or any new shifts? Cause I think a lot of people are looking at, okay, what's the next best thing. And I'm kind of always interested in what you're thinking, at least from a strategy standpoint, cause, cause you're real good at this stuff.
1: Yeah. You know um, <laughs> I've been, I'm very, very fortunate. Uh, The clients take my advice, and we've had some really good successes. Um, They're shooting some nice deer. Um, People understand that if you had a party of six, you're not going to shoot six five-and-a-half-year-old bucks every single year, that that wouldn't be sustainable. And I think guys are... Um, shift, uh, having a paradigm shift in their opinion of what a successful season is and it's becoming more fun for everybody because they realize, hey, if one guy shoots a mature buck, we all got that buck because we all passed it and we all grew it together and that's really the celebration and um, and the habitat work that's going on it, is working phenomenal. And things are really falling into place so um, I really don't have Change right. as much as I'd like to say change that answer or, or have something that that we had to shift or do. Things are falling into place pretty good. So, um,
2: so you said you had a, a trick for logging.
1: Yeah. So after so the trick for logging is after a logger comes through, you're going to have a lot of treetops. You organize them a little. You know, you organize them. Those are good for bedding and they're good for cover. But they're also good for cages. So if you want to take um, dogwood cuttings or elderberry cuttings or any of the type of fruit trees that you want to grow or shrubs that you want to grow, because you're basically trying to turn the tree into a shrub. Shrubs are what you want for wildlife, for feed, for cover, for all of that. And they make a really good cage where the deer don't get at them. So you can go within those treetops and stick either seedlings that you buy from a county ag department or cuttings that you take from your yard or from somewhere where the dogwood are still red if they're gray they got to be cut back if they're still see nice red on them then uh then they're good good to go so it works really well because by the time that top breaks down the tree the shrubs are mature and they can take the brudge, browse pressure so it's a it's a really unique trick to establish um, shrubs in those areas in the understory that you just daylighted, and that uh, you are trying to get to go.
2: love that. love that trick. love, love yeah. to use that trick. um i'm gonna I'm gonna throw something out there because I, I I just had a meeting with a client on I was just on a property, and then we had a fault meeting the next morning, and we were talking about how to manage an oak stand. And so taking the resident acorns that they've collected, this is a lot of red, some white oak, and then using those treetops in the same manner in placing, right, in placing the acorns within the treetops. But when you shape them, you shape them where they're not butt to butt, it's top to top. So it almost creates a cage like you're talking about. And yeah. being a yep. hard, hardwood, it's a, it's a longer period of degrading. And so you want to try to yes. keep that, that, um, that particular, you know, treetop slightly elevated. What you can do is you can take one treetop or even, you know, almost like in a pyramid shape, and create kind of a pyramid and actually elevate uh, the top branching. So you've got basically a cross member, kind of like you're building linking logs, and you're setting the the treetop treetops on top of that in a in a pyramid type shape or a triangle. That's another strategy I've I've done. Um, it's similar to building habitat things of that nature. Um,
1: yeah, and when you put in when you do the acorns, you know a really good thing. Everybody probably knows, but just in case, you put the acorns in water and the ones without the out the shell on them you put them in the water and the parts that the ones that sink are good the floaters are no good so you take the ones that sunk and then if you bury them about a half inch in the ground and simply take a milk jug with the bottom cut out of it set it over the top and put a stick through the hole in the top it acts like a mini greenhouse it stops mice and squirrels or deer from getting the acorn And then it heats up really nice and humid. And when it comes out the top of the jug, you simply put a tube over the top of it. Or if it's caged really nice, like you're talking about inside of the treetops, it'll grow from there. But that's a way to get them started more efficiently. I like that. Chestnuts too, if you get some chestnuts. It's really good. And it's a fun project to do with kids. And then additionally, the way you can get dogwood to spread, it's the same way Mother Nature does it. And it starts off by uh, birdhouses on your property. I always, when I have a a cottonwood cut down every year, I have it ripped into lumber and I make bluebird houses and wood duck houses out of the cottonwood, which is a really good wood for that type of um, outdoor exposure. Um, A lot of like Wisconsin, all the old red barns, they're made out of cottonwood back in the day that was abundant. Mm -hmm. And that's how long that that lumber lasts. People think you have to use cedar, but you don't. The, The cottonwood works really good for it. The birds, because then you, you get yourself a nice patch of dogwood that you can cage in, especially those in high deer density is very important. All those little berries, the birds come and get them. And then throughout your property, you just have everywhere there's a fence post or you can put posts in or you can even take sticks. And then the the trick is this. You have to have loose bare dirt under those sticks and just let the birds plant them for you all around. Um, additionally, if you have a roost tree, that birds go on. So you see a lot of droppings, everything there. if you can keep it weed free and loose soil underneath it, you'll grow a beautiful crop of, uh, of elderberry dogwood, silky dogwood, red osier dogwood. Um, it, it's a, it's a really good way to get free shrubs to really spread like wildfire on your property. And you're just using mother nature, um, at its finest.
2: And you're you're just saying loosen the ground and clear off the leaf litter around kind of that birdhouse or yeah. that den? Yeah, okay. you can't,
1: yeah, just the same thing that smothers out dogwood, the canary grass or tall weeds or grass is the same thing you have to control to get the seedlings to come in. And I think anybody that's spent any time in the woods at all, I've seen where there's been disturbed soil and you see those little baby dogwoods growing. Um frequently um, along a fence post, you see a fence post in a yard that's mowed. And from going around with a trimmer, all of a sudden you've got a dogwood growing next to it or you've got a tree growing next to it. So you just use that and you put them where you want them. So um, what I'll do, if it's canary grass and it's a wetter area, you can you flip up a little hump and then you keep that. Uh, I'll spray it with a pre-emergent and a, and a ground clear. And then the the birds do the rest for you. Put a couple poles in, and and uh, and I've got birdhouses throughout the property, and um, it works really good. So it's a nice project, it's a fun one to do with your kids, and it's a really good way to to propagate dogwood and and other shrubs onto your property. Plums, another another good one. They'll get dropped in there and grow voluntarily.
2: Yep, American plum, beach plum for you people in the sandy areas. Yeah. Uh, great, like great advice. This is this is killer advice, especially. If you have a field setting, you're trying to do a conversion, any type of roost, branching, anything like that in those field settings, that's the way to propagate those particular plants as they defecate. And, you know, the birds basically are your are friend at that point. And the an interesting yeah. point with the cottonwood, too. I mean, I didn't even think of the, the wood material being utilized. And it's funny because you've told me, you know, you've sought out cottonwoods. And I always was like, what the hell is he doing that for? So, you know, it's, it's yeah. good to put the story together here.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there it is. I've got some at the sawmill right now. Um, usually I have a guy come in with a sawmill, but he's got to have the right weather and he doesn't want to pull it in the salt. So there's a sawmill near me, so I just hauled the load over there and uh, and having some ash kiln dried and then uh, the dogwood made for that. So that'll be bird houses for client property and, and then we'll scratch up and uh, help spread it. Now, it also, you know, we were talking earlier about the tr- uh, the treetops and putting acorns don't be afraid to throw a handful of plum seeds in there. If you have plums on your property or a, a American plum, eat, eat them, get the seeds out or don't even eat them. Just throw them in there. They'll grow uh, dogwood seeds on your own. If you want to throw them in there, they'll grow. We just talked about the acorn trick, but you can also um, throw a handful of uh, switchgrass seed in, depending on if it's going to get enough sun. Um, and if it's not too wet, throw some switchgrass seed and stick a couple rhizomes of uh, giant miscanthus in you can get some really nice thick stuff that comes in after the the treetop breaks down which everybody knows depending on the tree they can break down relatively quick
2: yeah that's really good advice i think and i was listening to a podcast today uh, when i was driving this morning and uh you know i i love the information that's out there and i love this level of detail because i don't think even the other Habitat podcasts that are out there giving, you know, some of this advice. So Todd, I think is great. Hey, you bought a new tractor recently. I I think that's not something we, we we talked about it personally, but we haven't talked about it on the podcast. What did you buy recently? I think people are interested in equipment you're using.
1: I just, I bought a a new uh, John Deere 5075 M with a cab on it and a, and a loader. And then uh, so I could put a grapple. It's got a, a third function on the loader handle and, yeah it's just gonna make me a little more efficient and be able to work a little bit longer with air conditioning and heat and uh out of the out of the dust and out of all the things so it's a little bit smaller than the tractor I had the tractor I had was eighty five horse this is seventy five horse but it weighs a little bit more because of the cab so um should be should be a good tractor. I've been using it to do some cutting of my own right now and carrying logs around and using the grapple to grab big brush piles and put them where I need them so so far so good
2: so you would say um, moving from the character. yeah moving from the the uh, forks to the uh, grapple must it must be a big improvement oh
1: yeah it's a huge it's a it's a root grapple so it works as a root, root rake and uh you know can pull up the small like I, I took out a whole bunch of uh uh buckthorn with it just pops them right out of the ground like nothing and then put them in a pile pick them up put them on a burn pile
2: if you have, uh, and I know you're kind of set with your properties, but if you're expanding an area and you've got you know some, some smaller trees, maybe slightly bigger than than buckthorn, uh, are you hiring that work out? Or at this point, you think with uh, root grapple, you might be able to kind of tackle those? It probably depends on the size of the tree, obviously. But yeah, it
1: depends on the, depends on the site and all that. I've I've come to the i I do use. I've got a buddy of mine that I hire. For, he's got a fecon head on a mul- on a skid steer. Yep. And that really, that forestry mulcher is pretty, can make you lazy in a hurry. Or things I used to do, t- I think I'll take a chance on being there and uh, spend a day knocking it down. It's like, man, once you see one of those work, it can be pretty efficient. So, <laughs> yeah. depending on the situation. I'm going to be hiring a couple kids this, uh, this summer. Uh, I've got some kids that want to work, uh, 16-year-olds, so some of those jobs i'll see how they do with chainsaws but that'd be a pretty good safe way if they want to work with chainsaws cutting some of the smaller stuff
2: yeah i mean i've been doing projects with some of the clients where we're you know we're cutting we're not even having somebody come in with a mulcher to remove the the stop we're cutting as low as we can and we're just kind of working those areas and they're slowly burning them out you know that's you know it, again that's a little bit painstaking but to me if you don't have equipment and you're typically using everything by hand it's 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 probably a fine mm-hmm. way to do it and i, I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend against that. I think it's a more of an economical way to handle those things. And usually you're taking the material, the resin material, and creating some structure with it. Or, like, you know, we talked earlier about some habitat, like, things of that nature. So I think people can mm-hmm. be pretty innovative with the uh, with the small, you know, with small equipment. And, you know, again, you don't have to necessarily invest in, in a, a large tractor. Some of us have them, and, and some of it's out of your budget. So... Uh, if I, had yeah, to show- I
1: agree. Go I on. mean, every year, John, and I tell us that all the seminars that I do on all the things, I use everything every year. So from a hand seeder and a four gallon backpack sprayer to remote locations to 85 horse tractor with a no tail drill. And all of it is used in certain applications, but I could get by if I just had one piece of property, I could get by with a, a bag seeder and a four-gallon backpack spray on a chainsaw. Yep, Definitely always a way to do something. And then sometimes you get older, um, you need to be more efficient. You don't have as much fuel in your tank, and uh, you just want to make your life a little bit easier. And I've got, you know, I love doing, when I have time, doing the, the chainsaw work or even the handsaw work on small stuff. But it's just like I can send him to one job while I'm on another job and another guy on another job. It um, just makes me more efficient. So I would never want to imply that anybody needs any piece of equipment to, to do it. You can get by with a bare minimum for sure.
2: If it boiled down to this, and this is this is the choice of mine, if I had to, you know, let's say I had 50 acres and I had a choice to buy another 15 acres adjacent to my property or buy a tractor. Get the land. Get the land. I mean, and I've said that, <laughs> absolutely. you know, not even a question get the yep. land. And, and I think yeah. a lot of people want to invest in this equipment. I just had a client call me. He's probably listening to this podcast, called me. He's got a, a 20 acres. I talked to him a couple nights ago and, uh, you know, he's like, I want to buy a UTV. I was like, you have 22 acres. I said, uh, you know, spending ten, fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000 on a UTV is not worth it. It's just not yeah. worth it in that application. I said, you know, if you get some deer down in a hollow, you know, that UTV is basically useless. So yeah. You know, it's not really, it's thinking more intelligently about having volume of land versus some of this equipment. And I told him, I said, spend that money and buy good chainsaw equipment. That that would be dollars to donuts, your best
1: investment. Right, right. Now you just talked, the guy finally convinced his wife to let him buy an ATV and you talked him out of it.
2: Well, I'm hoping he spends the money John, on,
1: a, I, I, well, I'm hoping,
2: <laughs> I'm hoping he spends the money on, on some implementation work. That's, that's what I'm hoping he does. Cause I think we'll yeah, get, I, get him farther ahead.
1: Well, I agree. I actually had a guy a couple of years ago say, he goes, well, my neighbors, he said I could buy that land, but we'd rather hire you for two years to come in and manage ours. I said, absolutely not. Buy that land, spend the money on that land regroup and I'll visit me again in three years or whatever it takes to, to build back up. But if you can have the opportunity, but take the land, take the land first. Every time.
2: I had a conference call last night with uh, a future client and uh, it's, they also listen to this podcast and it's, it's for uh, the relatives and, and, and what have you. And, you know, they had a logger come in that, that actually hunts with them on their property and, and do some layout. And, One of the gentlemen uh, said to me, he said, you know, we were happy we had the logging uh, operation uh, come in here and get it done, but nothing was strategic. Nothing was planned out, and we're not seeing the benefit of the operation. And I said to him, I said, that is the difference between this type of work for somebody who's, you know, managing. And I can manage a forest for long-term silviculture purposes, at least sections and portions of it, and then I need to be very strategic and that is a big difference between hiring, you know, somebody, you know, like ourselves versus, you know, somebody who's just managing, you know, kind of the forest setting. And actually they did a diameter limiter cut on it. And that's not what I would have recommended for them. And I, I wasn't trying to bash, but again, this whole, this whole thinking through the process is this is why you, you involve yourself with people like you and I. And I, I think it really kind of helps, helps set the tone. Um, and I've been on multiple consulting where other consultants have been there and it's just like i I have a different recommendation the way i look at the landscape's a a little different but you know we're all odd and different in in some way or other so
1: yeah
2: let's get into uh let's get into something else you know you kind of looked in the landscape i think I, i think one of the things we talked about is tree stands set up and trying to come up with a plan or opportunity when maybe you don't have a tree to get in um and and trying to be resourceful trying to look at maybe you know new techniques to get in a hunting location and, and things that maybe you, you tried this year or or you're thinking about working with on your client properties.
1: Well, I've done this on a, on a number of occasions when you have just straight telephone pole type trees, not a lot of branching and um, it's difficult to not stick out like a turkey on a roost. Um, this works really, really good. Well, well, there's a number of things I'll tell One, I get in a property where it's all box elder. We'll start with box elder. Twisty, turvy, you can't, you can't get into them. If you just cut them off, hinge them, it's good. And then when the, you know how they grow back, they'll grow like 15 feet that first year, 10 to 15 feet because the root structure's there and they really push. And it might be 10 suckers that come up that tall. You simply cut like all of them off except for three in like a diamond shape. So you're building like a cage that you're going to sit within. And then that following year, they jump up again and you simply take a pruner and cut the branches off that are sticking out. And you can get a box elder to grow as straight as a pole. And it, and it doesn't take as long as one would think for it to push up and be sizable enough. Um, so again, I'm always thinking the next stand, the next stand, where is it going to be? And that's a way to grow your own tree stand on your own property out of box elder. And we said, well, box elder, they're good to hinge cut. They drop a lot of seeds for, for food, but they're not, you know, they're, they're kind of a disrespected type tree. You can get them to grow as straight as a die with just simple pruning. And if you put, because they drop their leaves early, if you get them into a, a diamond shape like that, you can sit right in between there and you're really well hidden. So anywhere that you get in and you have box elder, um, that is a great technique to uh, grow grow tree stands hmm. in very short amount of time, and then additionally, uh, hybrid poplar, cottonwood, some of those trees that they don't have a lot of branching, um, difficult. How how are you, you going to hide in it? But yet you planted it because in seven years it's a legit tree that you could put a tree stand in. This is very simple. You can, uh, I've got a man way for my bucket or a a cage, a man cage, you know, for my bucket. So you pick it up with forks and a guy in there with a chainsaw. Just cut the tree off at 10 or 12 feet, perfectly flat. That year, it's going to push no different than if you cut it at the stump. It's going to root sucker, but the root suckers are up 10 or 12 feet. And then you simply trim a couple of those off and it grows up like a hand. We call them handstands. Um, because it'll be like four large branches coming out of this 14 inch stump that's 10 to 12 feet in the air, and you can sit right inside of those, prune them out, and you're like in a little cage up there, absolutely invisible to deer.
2: I, I like this idea, so we, we call that a nest, uh, in, uh, in our nest. parts out yeah. in New York, but uh, yeah, no, that's a, that's a crazy, interesting concept. All right, can I throw some ideas at you because these are things that I've yeah. been playing with. So, uh, a lot of people here like to set up in tripod stands, and and it's just you know, they'll put a tripod stand using maybe in a a pine setting, just where there's you know, there's a lot of coniferous trees kind of surrounding them. But what we've done is planted hybrid poplar or willows in sections and letting those trees kind of grow up five, six, seven feet, depending on the height of your tripod stand. And you create this basically shield uh, around that stand, so basically, you know, you've got maybe three or four planted kind of in a triangular shape and you walk into the backside of this stand and you've got this, you know, this, this kind of shielding structure. So you don't have to put wood or anything in front of you. Coniferous trees take way too long to grow. Um, the other yeah. concept is weaving willows. And I've seen this uh, on, on other clients properties and, and concept that I stole was they're actually weaving willows as fencing. And in that they're putting artificial, um, artificial trees, Christmas trees, and stuffing them in there and creating this kind of this shield effect. And they sneak in the back and they sneak up. And it's it's a really cheap way to build kind of this this shield uh, in front of your tree stand. So I, I thought that was kind of ingenious. Constantly stealing ideas left and right, you know, from, uh, from some of these clients. But, uh, you know, I think it's pretty innovative building these like easy accessible locations. And again, it's not hard to build a stand. Hybrid poplar, I've got those in my yard. Easy to take cuttings, you know put them on the landscape and in in 12 years boy you got you've got upwards to a 15 or 16 inch diameter tree at breast height and it's pretty incredible how quick those things grow so uh, i I would definitely use use that that species
1: those are the ideal ones to cut off like 12 14 feet up and grow a grow a little cage up there to sit inside of
2: hunting in a deer nest never thought we'd be talking about that today Uh, We we really didn't have an agenda at all today. This has been fun. Well, Anything else? And then I have
1: a, (laughs) well, I I keep dogwoods I have in my yard, one for decoration and two for cuttings. I mean, they're easy to keep just perfectly. Get your cuttings in and uh, put them inside the cages. You're really lucky. And I I appreciate it. This is the first show we did in 2023 that I've been on that we did in 2023. And I really like it because it's not, uh, I listen to all of them. Jim Ward, all the guys are going to be doing it. And I listen to the rest of the guys and it's uh, the thing I like about it is it's some really good innovation from guys that are not just regurgitating things they heard from other people. And additionally, it's uh, not bad mouthing other people because it seems to be a real trend right now where guys hire a land manager to come in and then suddenly they are one or the guys that right now they're real business is YouTube and getting clicks on YouTube. They're getting paid for YouTube. So their management is really slacked off. And you hear customers griping. They can't get a phone call back. And it's like, you paid what for a tractor? You did what? And it's uh, like the old magazines used to be when you're going out of a cash register back in the day where they had just uh, attention grabbers. So this seems to be the real deal with the other guys that are on there and, and they get some really good information learn from everybody so i I appreciate you doing this
2: yeah i do i think we got i think we got the best of the best on this here between the rest of us i'm going to be controversial for a second and, uh, I don't mind being this way and I don't think there's, there, there's some great consultants up there. And, and I've, I've talked a little bit about the money and the investment for people, but one of the things I listened to a podcast today when I was driving and I got really irritated at the, uh, the folks that were talking on that podcast specifically because they were bashing other consultants. And yeah. I, I really was upset about it. And it was this, this mantra that you know, my way or the highway, and I don't want to bring up the topic specifically, but it was yeah. is it was about a plant that we talked about here today, and uh, they just just totally downed the guy for making that recommendation because it's not a, a native plant for that matter, and I got to tell you, uh, any any of these people. Any of them, including the people that think they're naturalists, are likely using plants that at one time or other were not resident to this this location, uh, either right. eco region wise. Like I'm buying trees from Michigan that are native plants to the United States, but they're not native to my eco region per se. Uh, you know the species, right? The variation of that species is not localized. But even on top of that, most of the food plot varieties that we're utilizing are not local to the united states and these are the same people that are saying oh don't do that or don't do this and 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 again you're either all or nothing into that boat and i i feel like today's the world has evolved people from other countries live in these particular nations i know i understand this is a totally different analogy but we have to accommodate and understand that on the natural landscape it's evolved and maybe not necessarily for for good but the landscape is changing on a constant basis and and we have to adapt to that and some things that were not native are now naturalized on our landscape and we have to recognize that i'm not saying try to not remove things in the landscape i'm saying i'm suggesting that completely but you know in some capacity bashing other people in that respect that that really bothered me today and, and i had to i had to turn that off so yeah that's my rant yeah that's my rant all right man yeah that's that's it um i'm excited uh we're gonna have you back on here pretty soon again Uh, i've got to get jake and we've got a couple new guys coming on i'm excited for those guys and um actually one of the guys i plan on actually cutting timber with this year and and you know him so i'm excited about that opportunity because we'll we'll talk a little bit about that coming up and then uh I've got some plans. I want to. I want to do a podcast on building bedding thickets, and I want to get into the minutia and detail on how I do it. So anybody's listening, to this stay tuned because in a podcast coming up soon, I'm gonna I'm gonna explain how I build bedding thickets, and I I think that will be a little more uh, intricate and interesting for you. So that's it for me.
1: Excellent! I can't wait to hear it.
2: Good, good. All right, bud. We'll stay in touch care, and uh, we'll talk soon.
1: See ya. Sounds good. Thanks, Bye. John. Bye. Maximize Your Hunt is a production of Whitetail Landscapes. For more information on how John Teeter and his team of experts can help you maximize your hunt, check out whitetaillandscapes.com.